So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta, and welcome back to the Active Atlanta Podcast. Today, we have somebody who's spent a ton of time in Atlanta, since has moved away, but her heart is still there. Uh, She is a sports nutritionist and cycling coach with 20 years of experience. She has her PhD in applied exercise physiology, and while getting that PhD, she uh, established, uh, she raced on a pro team um, at Georgia Tech, and then went on to start a collegiate cycling team at SCAD. On top of all that, she's got 20 years of coaching experience where she works with nutrition. Uh, She works on developing programs, and then she works on uh, integrating that together for cyclists, for baseball players, for runners, uh, for many people. Uh, Before I go on, and and, uh, I'll let her do the rest of it uh, in terms of, but she's super qualified. She works with a ton of badass runners and cyclists. I'm excited to get her on the podcast. So without further ado, Namrita Brooke, how you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to get you on the podcast. So when, um, when did you have your first pro race or when did you start cycling and why? Yeah. So it's funny. I had like a corporate job. I was working in software consulting, um, and my office was right by the river. So it backed up to the trails Mm. at Cochrane Shoals and, I was dating a guy and, you know, he was a really good mountain biker. So I was like, you know what? This is cool. I've got these trails. I started mountain biking, started teaching myself. I was like coming into work with bruises all over my legs. I didn't get any like formal instruction or anything, but man, I loved it. And um, a lot of my coworkers and I would go to this spin class over lunch downstairs. We had this amazing gym and I just got really into cycling. I've, I've always enjoyed running. Um, but really, especially like off-road sports, we had the the trails right there. So yeah. I, I just got super into it. And that's like the simplest way I can put it. And finally, at some point, I was like, I want to do something with this for my career. Like I wanted a career that was more meaningful to me. And there were so many questions at that point. Like we don't, we didn't know as much about training science and and performance science and sports nutrition then um you know as much as we do now so like research and science and practice and application has come a long way since then but um i kind of saw the opportunity there and i just wanted to learn so i ended up quitting my job went to georgia state got my master's in nutrition um like specialized in sports nutrition um became a registered dietitian and then i was like i still want more I wanted to be like really knowledgeable and I had so many questions. So I wanted to like go down the research route. Yeah. So then I went to Georgia tech studied with Mindy Millard Stafford and exercise physiology there. I got my doctorate and, um, 
Yeah, like you and I were kind of chatting about, you know, the applied side of <clears throat> of sports nutrition and exercise performance was what was really exciting to me. I mean, I love the research, but then like, what do you do with it? I want to be able to apply it to help people <clears throat> yeah. um, of all levels. And so, you know, not all athletes are the same. They don't always need the same approach or the same um, <clears throat> prescription, I guess. And, you know, knowing how to <clears throat> decipher like what an athlete needs for them to re reach their performance potential is really fun for me. And, um, you know, I've kind of just been doing it and growing it and learning and, and helping people get faster and stronger and, you know, loving their sport. And I bet, I think like, um, so then do you work? Um, I think you bring up a couple interesting things. One, uh, I love your journey within like this, uh, career field it's it's really come from a point uh from a place of curiosity is what it sounds like um totally. yeah. where it's like this seems pretty cool i've got these trails in the back and then like oh no this is pretty dope now what do i do with it right like um there's this huge underserved population let me be an n of one let me push the let me try to push the um profession or push the sport forward right um what are some of the common let me ask you this first do you work with predominantly like already like established racers do you work with people who are trying to break into the sport like wh who do you work with predominantly yeah i mean now i work with pretty much established somewhat experienced racers um most of them are pretty competitive because let's be honest i mean it's you know it requires expendable income from their standpoint um it's sure. I've been doing this for a while. Now I want to get faster. Um, it's not always about losing weight. I mean, sometimes it is for performance, but usually it's about, I just want to optimize my fueling and my training for performance. Um, mm -hmm. So these are people who are competing at the regional level, at the national level. And then I also work with um, a select number of professional athletes as well. So um, awesome. and then, yeah, but sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't know what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, um, and you know, there's a huge difference, I think, between so some of the things that you talked about. Um, there's a huge difference between like uh, nutrition from a weight loss perspective and nutrition from a performance enhancement uh, standpoint, right? Like um, to be able to fuel, like to get another, I don't know, few seconds faster in your race, right? Or to be able to go that much longer without having to take a break or where or be able to recover faster and be able to get back on the bike the next day and be able to ride at a high level. What are some sure. of the, what are some of the like um, common things that you'll see people come in with? Like, Oh, you're not doing this or this is, this is, we need to start here before we do anything else. Is there any? Yeah. I mean, there's, it's funny that you ask it that way because there's absolutely some like very common themes I see. So one, um, you know, and I think this is just what we're surrounded by. We're always surrounded by diet culture, even if oh, we're an athlete. Um, so all your non-athlete family and friends, you know, they're always, you know, talking about diets and like what the new fad is. So I, my focus for performance nutrition is like focus on what you can add, not restrict and take away. Mm. Um, you know, everyone's like always coming in with, okay, what do I not eat anymore? What am I not allowed to eat? But I don't like to think of it like that. Like I like to think about what can we add to make your diet more suitable, you know, for you to meet your energy needs and not just macros, but like nutrient, high nutrient dense foods too. Because when you're thinking about performance and all the, you know, 
all the actions that are going inside your body, like you need those micronutrients for all those energy processes to take place well. Um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, the whole low carb craze for endurance sports, it just doesn't work when you're performance minded. Um, and so yeah. that's the other thing, like a lot of people come in really with their macro skewed, like the wrong way, you know, they're afraid mm -hmm. of carbs for some reason. Um, I didn't and know no, if that's still a thing with like endurance athletes too, right? Like, uh, cause like that's such a, such a needed thing at that point. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I'm not saying all carbs are equal, so we definitely focus on quality, but that's definitely a theme. Like I see a lot of people either under eating protein and carbs and overeating fat, or, you know, just kind of thinking about it wrong. And I try to help reframe how they're looking at nutrition for performance versus like, you know, dieting and what their body looks like. Yeah. 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 Because it's two totally different things. It's the same thing that like I'll talk about with, uh, cause you know, at athletes potential, we, it's in our name, like we will work with athletes. Right. But, uh, we also believe that like, if you have a body, you're an athlete of some type of sport. Right. So, um, it could be the sport of life and that's okay too. Um, and, but there's a huge difference when you're training for just like enjoy life enjoyment <laughs> and longevity. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. or even if you're training for just like some, to, for, uh, some better aesthetics, right. Uh, versus training for performance. That is a totally different ball game. And, uh, there's different things that you need to think about. And, uh, but there has to be a foundation piece laid first, right? Like, um, you can't go in and, you know, I'm sure maybe if you work with some beginner cyclists, like it, this becomes more of a conversation, but, um, you can't go into the, you can't go into a workout and it's, or to, uh, um, program under, under fed. Uh, cause that's a huge thing. The amount of people that we work with that are just not eating enough is insane. Um, but you can't go into a program. You can't perform at a high level. You can't recover at an optimal level, um, under fed, under nutrition, under fueled. Um, because if you do, uh, you're going to end up with an injury and need to go work with somebody that's going to like, uh, one prolong your, um, training that you need to do, or may have you miss your race or two, um, just not allow you to hit the goals that you want to hit. Yeah. And, you know, we always say under eating is over training. And so, I mean, the reason people train is to get better. So really it should help, you know, make that, um, that, that slope, uh, you know, reach your potential faster basically. Um, so it's not yeah. such a steep, you know, uh, journey to get to where you want to be. I mean, you just, you have to fuel for, for what you're demanding of your body. Um, and even from a, you know, if you do get injured and you end up, um, you know, having to do a bunch of physical therapy or, or conditioning, you know, nutrition can support that process as well. So it, oh, it really is a fundamental part of, um, you know, an athlete's regimen, regardless of what phase of the year they're in or, or how competitive they are. Yeah. Now, is there a difference in, um, nutrition? We'll start there. Is there a difference in like the nutrition, uh, that you'll guidance that you'll give somebody if they're like a cycle cross rider, or if they're a, um, road cyclist, or if they're a mountain biker, like, um, is there, are there differences that you need to look at there? Yeah. And so it all, it all comes down to what are the specifics and the demands of the sport that they're doing. And so for something like cyclocross, you've got, you know, the specifics of that are, it's a very short race compared to a road race or a gravel race or something like that, or even a mountain bike race. Um, 
and they can't really fuel during. And so, you know, those are all things that you have to take into consideration. So, you know, from uh, a base building standpoint, you know, depending on the time of year, you you can be a little bit less specific with nu- nutrition and really just focusing on like, okay, what are overall goals? Let's get the athlete to a um, a healthy diet with enough calories so that they can complete their their foundation program. And as they get closer to race season, then you're really looking at the specific demands of the event and fueling it. So, you know, more intensity, maybe less volume, um, getting them through short, intense rides without fuel, because that's what a cyclocross race is like. So you're really focusing on the carb loading up front. You know, what are they eating before the the event or how are they hydrating and all that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the hydration, what is, is that, that's gotta be one of the toughest things to, uh, keep up for an athlete during, uh, especially where you're at down in Florida. If, if you get on a, get on a, uh, long road race down there, I'm sure like that he does, uh, very detrimental to your performance. Yeah, it is. And that's, it's kind of one thing that, um, one is like overlooked a little bit and two very misunderstood Mm -hmm. um especially now with all the products on the market i mean you could go crazy trying to figure out what is is the best thing to drink and how much you know during during endurance sport whatever it is running or cycling um but yeah i mean if you think about an endurance sport, it's like having GI problems or cramping or, you know, any number of things that can go wrong. So often it's related to hydration. And so starting whatever you're doing, whatever training session you're doing, um, whether it's a long run or a long ride um, or interval session or whatever, starting hydrated is super important because that's what is delivering oxygen and nutrients to your exercising muscle. Um, it's what's allowing the contents of whatever you're fueling with to be digested and absorbed. Um, so you can actually get through the workout. Um, and yeah, it's a huge, um, player in performance for sure. Do you ever see people getting lost in the weeds with some of these, um, like elements or like uh, biolites or you know not, not that those companies are anything bad but like um these specialized high electrolyte um drinks when they're not even hydrating enough yet um yeah yeah and that's you know what it's like interesting because that is such, it's like a fairly recent player to the market i mean there's always been salt tabs and things like that but now with these super high electrolyte drinks I think it like people need to understand the mechanism of you know what's happening. So when you're sweating, you're losing primarily fluid. Um, so you're already concentrating your body's electrolytes. So if you're under hydrating but overdoing the electrolytes, you're just making the problem worse. Mm. I mean, yeah, we lose some electrolytes in our sweat, but our bodies are really good at preserving that and learning how to preserve it. So <clears throat> it's called um hypertonic hypovolemia, right? Like you you can just make your dehydration worse by over drinking, you know, sodium and electrolyte drinks. Mm. Ah, That's crazy. I didn't think, um, so when you say your body can learn to hold on to that, so you're saying like, as you train, like your body can, like, as you get be sweaty, right? Like your body learns like, oh, we need to, we need to hold back on how much sodium we're actually like getting rid of in our sweat, essentially. Yeah, right. So like you think about any homeostatic mechanism in our body, you know, our, we are designed to preserve our homeostasis. So <clears throat> let's say 
this is part of the heat acclimation process. So let's say it's, you know, it's Atlanta, um, it's March, it's starting to get warm outside. So now when you go out and run or ride or whatever, you're sweating a lot, you are losing a little bit more sodium in your sweat because you're not totally heat acclimated yet. Yeah. But come June, what's going to happen is your body's going to be losing more fluid as part of sweat as part of your cooling strategy. But it's also smart enough to preserve now and some of that sweat sodium and that's really the main electrolyte that's lost in sweat so that's the one right. i'm talking about um yeah or focusing on but <clears throat> yeah so your, your concentration of sodium in your sweat is not going to be as high as it is when you're not heat acclimated so um yeah like i don't think people really understand that and so sweating is good because you know our bodies are not that efficient we're going to lose a, a lot as heat so we sweat to dissipate the heat um so your sweat rate might increase, but the actual concentration of sodium in it goes down as you get heat acclimated. Oh, uh, that's interesting. That's super cool. And then, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why I thought of it about this, but uh, when you brought up the like, you know, um, like hyponatremia or some of these other things that can happen, right? Like, um, I'll never forget. I thought my dog was going to get hyponatremia one time because like this uh, woman at this dog park was, he, he likes to bite hoses or like water coming out of a hose. And she just like blasted him for like close to like 45 seconds. Right. And like his belly was just so distended with like water. I'm like, he's going to like become like hyponatremic and just start vomiting all over the place. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Back to high level athletes. My English bulldog does not qualify as that. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really interesting about like the whole like sweat composition, because I know back when I first got out of PT school, there's companies out there that I was trying to, I'm sure they still are like get an like get like a uh like a custom uh, like they're trying to customize like your electrolyte drinks to you based on like what your sweat volume was but really that seems like it's a pretty null point if it's just if it's just going to change based off like where you're at in the training season um from like a heat yeah standpoint. right it's and it does change a little bit so it's not going to change so drastically it is pretty genetic and so this is actually something that i um we did a lot of hydration studies at georgia tech yeah um, <clears throat> and one of the things that you know, as part of early on when I started was a hydration study looking at sweat sodium loss and, you know, quantifying how much sodium is in people's sweat and stratifying that. So you've got people who are not losing that much. You've got, you know, this moderate um, amount of sweat and then you have salty sweaters. Yeah. So it's really for those salty sweaters. They're the ones that need to really pay attention to replacing something. So there's new research out now that um, how much sodium you're replacing in your drink is really dependent on how much you're drinking. So okay. it's the percent of your fluid losses that you're replacing that drives the need for also adding electrolyte replacement. Now, if you're a salty sweater, yeah, you probably want to um, supplement with a little sodium, but these like ultra high electrolyte drinks are like, they're no go for me. I mean, it, in no situation does that make sense because again, um, you're just not, unless you are like hydrating with like gallons of water and <laughs> trying to make yourself hyponatremic, I yeah. don't know. It just like, you you probably don't need it. Yeah. One thing, you know, again, and I say our bodies are smart. So we have, um, something called a sodium appetite. And so when we crave salt, um, that means we probably need it. And so it's, you know, similar area of the brain that regulates our, um, you know, thirst and hunger. So, uh, 
That's something that I tell athletes to pay attention to when they're like, well, how do I know how much sodium I need to replace? Well, if you're drinking plain water and you actually, you like don't want to drink anymore. So one, your thirst is kind of turned off Mm -hmm. um, or you're like, you're just like, oh, thinking about potato chips or something salty. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's when that's a good sign that your body might need some additional sodium. Um, Or like if you are doing like running a a marathon, maybe you're a new marathon runner and you're running like a six hour marathon and you're like really focused on hydrating, Mm -hmm. you know, at each aid station, whatever. That's the situation when hyponatremia is a concern for ultra running too, you know, that sport has gotten super popular. So Mm -hmm. if you're trying to hydrate enough to like not lose more than 2% of your body weight, which is kind of what the recommendation is, you know, for hydration, then, then you need to think about supplementing some sodium, but that can come from food. It can come from snacks. Um, and so that, you know, to me is a good way to, to really rely, learn your sodium appetite and rely on that. And that's, okay. you know, always something I, I work, say with my athletes, like it's not all about numbers and like having this like super defined strategy. You have to listen to your body too and, and yeah. what it's asking for. That's awesome. Cause my follow-up question to that was going to be, how do you know if you're a salty sweater? Well, you just kind of answer like your body will let you know. Right. Um, or is there more defined ways that you, yeah. Gonna... And that's tough. So that is one situation where sweat testing can be useful. Um, so back, you know, back when we were looking at this at Georgia Tech, we were like, okay, so now we have salty sweaters and we have, you know, average sweaters and whatever, but like, what do you do with that information? And we're still, we're just now getting to the point where we have some idea of like how to advise these people. Um, but yeah, there's no good way to know other than getting your sweat tested. So Gatorade makes some patches. Um, that I, I think are pretty good. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know offhand, like the exact accuracy, but, um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're pretty affordable. I think it can give you an idea of whether you're a salty sweater versus not, which is kind of what we're going for. Right. Um, precision hydration has some, you know, sweat testing out there. And I think there's some other companies that are doing it now. Again, you know, we did it at Georgia tech. So it was like research grade, um, uh, testing where, you know, but that's, you can't always find an exercise phys lab to do that at. So yeah, if you suspect you might be a salty sweater, it's probably not a bad thing to just, um, get a look at once and then, you know, try to think about your hydration and your sodium supplementation strategy that way. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, um, is there typically recommendations? So like if somebody comes, so it's interesting. Sometimes I think of like, um, so I was, I was, we, we talk a lot about like sleep with our, um, population as well. Um, and there's some really interesting like sleep tactics they can do. If you know, you're about to go into like, if like, you know, you have the hell and back coming up here in Atlanta, um, which is like super long race anyway, like there's going to be some sleep deprivation. Right. And, uh, if you, you know, you have an event coming up or there's going to be sleep deprivation, like there's some evidence that can support like this whole idea of like sleep banking, um where like you can sleep extra throughout the for a few weeks beforehand it like help like minimize the effects of sleep deprivation is there is there something similar that you can do like if you know you have a marathon coming up to make sure that you're nice and nice and hydrated 
Can you even maybe overhydrate to start off with to give you some of that buffer uh, for your like ultra marathon coming up or your marathon or a big race or anything along those lines? Yeah, sort of. So, I mean, slowly carb loading and making sure that you're hydrating along with that um, because carbohydrate stores will also hold water. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's part of it. I mean, there's only, you don't really want to overhydrate. I think you just want to make sure that you're adequately hydrated. You know, the <laughs> night before, um, you could eat a little bit of extra salt to help kind of retain some of that fluid. So, you know, the downside is you might be on the start line feeling a little um, puffy or heavy or whatever. But, you know, especially in Georgia, if you're doing a long race and you're going to be sweating a lot, then... Um, then it's kind of worth it. So it's, you're yeah. not like trading a lot. And, and typically the pace is a little bit slower in that, you know, sort of event, at least to start. Yep. Um, but then also like having your hydration strategy nailed for the event itself is, is important and how to do that. You just practice. Like I always tell my athletes to, um, to practice how they're going to fuel and hydrate during the event, you know, during mm -hmm. some race simulation or race practices. Yeah, because man, that comes right back to what you're kind of talking about before. Like, you gotta know what your body is telling you and how you perform and what it feels like. And uh, because I'm sure some people are like, yeah, I feel totally fine if I walk up to the uh, with the um, to the um, start line with like maybe feeling a little a uh, little uh, pudgy, <laughs> right? Or yeah. like feeling like a little a little like uh, like a sponge, right? Um, yeah. But then maybe some athletes just do feel a little bit better. Like, nah, I don't know, like. I don't like to, I don't like to, I don't perform well that way. Um, or like maybe there could be a happy medium somewhere. Like, uh, so that trial and error, which is essentially what sparked your whole career, right? Is like, how do I make sure that my, my performance can be the best? And then how do we extrapolate this out? Like, does that curiosity becomes uh, a full circle yeah. instance there? Yeah. You've probably done this too in your career, but like trial and error on yourself. I mean, man, I've made so many mistakes, <laughs> but just like, yeah. you know, being curious and like, oh, well, does this strategy work? And then, you know, maybe I shouldn't have tested it in a 24 hour race, but whatever, like <laughs> I, I lived and learned. And um, yeah, now I tell people to not do it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah 100%. Um, well, they can learn from your mistakes, right? Like we, yeah. can, we can make it a little bit better. Um, all right. And then, so you brought up carb loading. Uh, whenever mm -hmm. I think of carb loading, not all the times, but it's funny. Like I imagine my patients think of carb loading as like, do you ever, have you watched the office before? Yeah. Have you, you sure. know the episode I'm talking about where Michael Scott yeah. like goes in like carbs loads by eating like a plate of spaghetti before he goes yeah. over his little 5k. Yeah. What, can you, can you just go over what is carb loading for our audience? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. And that's always what people think about is the giant plate of spaghetti with like a loaf of French bread the night before. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah. So what is the point of carb loading first? So when you start an event, especially an endurance event, you know, we have unlimited fat stores basically to use for energy production. Um, but carbohydrate is just as important, if not more important than fat for energy production, especially if performance is your goal. Um, so the faster and the more intense you're exercising, the more your body is relying on carbohydrate. But we can only store a fixed amount of carbs in our body um, as muscle glycogen and liver glycogen. So mm -hmm. it really depends on how much muscle mass you have. Again, for an endurance sport, let's just, you know, think about the legs. Like you're not going to use muscle glycogen from your bicep, really, when you're cycling. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you can't like, 
use it like that. So it's really like the local muscle stores are pretty limited in, in carbs. So, so you want to maximize that at the, you know, you want to go into the event where you have full um, carbohydrate stores in your body and your muscle and your liver. And so to do that, you want to load carbohydrate, um, but not starting the night before. That's not enough. You want to do it basically. I, I, tell people two to five days out and mm-hmm. the way to do it is you're you're not just eating pasta all week but i say just eat your normal meals but slightly increase the proportion of carbs in each meal so if you eat oatmeal for breakfast every day let's say you eat a bowl of oatmeal and two eggs well maybe add a banana to that and that's sufficient mm-hmm. um yeah. and then you know for lunch if you normally eat a salad we'll eat a sandwich mm-hmm. and maybe add a piece of fruit so it's like just increasing carbs over the course of the week Um, and then if you're training, um, or exercising, you know, the week of the event, if you normally just go out and do like a 45 minute run or, you know, hour ride with water, well, maybe take some carbs enduring because that's a good time for your muscle to take up the, the carbs and store it as glycogen. So you're slowly carb loading over the week. That means the night before you don't need a giant meal because, you know, your carb stores are fairly full, at least in your muscle. And then it really, you know, the morning just becomes like topping off your liver glycogen stores because those do deplete overnight. Okay. Okay. Got it. So you're trying to hit, you're trying to hit both sides in. So like that first or the, for both stores, storage, storage system. So you definitely want to make sure you get that meal the night before for that Mm -hmm. liver glycogen. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it, it can be pasta if you want, but again, like I like to tell people, eat what you're used to eating. So if you like to eat like chicken and rice with veggies, so maybe you just like double your portion of rice. Um, maybe come down on the veggies if you're running a marathon in the morning mm-hmm. to keep it kind of low fiber and easy to digest. But um, yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. It's just you know, um, keep keep doing what you're comfortable doing and you know just kind of skewing the the macros in favor of carbs leading up to the event yeah that's awesome this has been super informative uh this has been one of my favorite podcasts that i've uh that i've done actually uh if somebody wanted to learn more about you or uh you know we do work with a number of different endurance athletes throughout atlanta if they're like oh man i need to work with this girl uh what would be some good ways for them to be able to reach out to you yeah. So, um, Instagram is probably the easiest. I'm at Namrita Brooke. Um, and I also have some free nutrition content on Instagram. If you go to at inside sports nutrition nice. and either way, you can link back to my profile and then my website is in there too. You can contact me that way. Awesome. Namrita, thank you so much for your time and for all your knowledge and expertise. It's been awesome to have you, um, just kind of share that with us and, um, thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.